888-344-8888. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Good morning, Cleveland. The best location in the nation, home to the smartest, toughest, most industrious, and best-looking people on earth. You're listening to the Bob France Authority, as you heard at the top of the hour. This is Pete Kersnow substituting for Bob, who's attending his daughter's graduation. You may know me from my regular Tuesday appearances on the Bob France Authority and also from the Kersenow Report played multiple times a day on this very radio station. And I am also a longtime member, a long-suffering member of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights and all other manner of things. But uh, we had a great guest last hour in Roger Clegg talking about the adversity scores that the College Board is implementing in conjunction with the SAT scores. We talked a little bit about America and the left's apparent just their disdain for all that makes America great. And they're doing so here just before the Memorial Day weekend. They do it all the time. They don't care. In fact, things such as the Memorial Day weekend, I think, sets them on edge. They don't accept the the notion that the United States is an exceptional country, the greatest nation in the history of the world, and that there is true merit to the founding principles of this country, which they apparently would like to overthrow and implement something more along lines, I think, who knows, given the benefit of the doubt, a European model. And there's a reason why, you know, people came from Europe and every other place in this uh, uh, world to come to the greatest nation on earth. And that's because of one fundamental thing. The founding fathers had the prescience, the foresight, to establish a republic based on inalienable rights, but more importantly, freedom. You can't have rights without freedom. And one of the things that the left keeps forgetting is freedom is the essential foundation from which everything else springs. And yes, freedom is tough. Freedom has a lot of discourse, a lot of disagreements with come along with freedom. It's difficult to navigate in a society that has the types of freedoms we have. We have the freedom to succeed, freedom to fail, freedom to be mediocre. The left simply can't abide that. They have to have freedom of equal results, equal outcomes. That's the antithesis of freedom. And more importantly, we've seen what the results have been throughout history where alleged equal outcomes are mandated. So here we are. We're only 
about, I think it's maybe about 710 days from the NFL draft hosted by the great city of Cleveland. As I indicated, that probably will be only a couple of months after we win our first Super Bowl. Yes, I am an optimist. This is Open Line Friday for the next hour. We have open lines. We had Roger Clegg, the estimable Roger Clegg, last hour, but the rest of the time is open to you. We've got a couple of callers holding that we'll get to in a moment. I also would like to talk about this coming document dump that comes after President Trump has directed his attorney general, after he conducts the vetting process, to declassify all the relevant information, data, documents pertaining to the Russia hoax. The greatest conspiracy, the greatest cover-up the greatest political scandal in the history of the United States, bar none. Pay absolutely no attention to what the establishment, and by that I mean Washington Democrats and the media, but I repeat myself, pay no attention to what they say about this. The media is, frankly, the hand puppets, or maybe it's vice versa. Who even knows anymore at this point? They're almost indistinguishable for the left, and they have been ignoring the atomic explosion over to our right for two and a half years and concentrating on this made-up controversy to the left, of course, that is ostensibly the Russia collusion conspiracy. We have a number of things to talk about, but I know that Jim has been holding for a long time. He's been very patient. And Jim, I think you wanted to talk about colleges. Yes, your topic about the colleges, it's, I don't know if you remember the Dodd-Frank Act. I don't know if you're that old. Do you remember that? Yes. Okay, it was, it was set up to fail. They were giving these people house loans and stuff that they had no business even qualifying for. And then, uh, it, they all ended up in foreclosure. And the media blamed the bankers and the Wall Streets and, and all the other, uh, people. And they didn't, they didn't blame the people who were at fault. Yeah. And so, this reminds me of the, the Dodd-Frank Act. Uh, and I don't know if you heard, Mike, uh, oh, another thing, uh, with TJ's thing, you know, political correctness can get you killed, okay? And with this Obama's rules of engagement, there was a lot of people that lost their lives, and I hope they go after Biden because he was part of that cabal. And and uh, the other thing I want to say is uh, Nancy Pelosi is now praying for the president to get to get uh, uh, get fixed because she said that he's unfit and unhinged, and he's he he can't he can't do the presidency. Well, how about a hat that says? Make America pray again. How about that one? That would be a good one. <laughs> no, I think Thanks. that's something we're not going to see any time in the near future coming from the left. There is an attempt, and I, I know, Jim, you've probably heard me say this before, but we have, uh, on the Civil Rights Commission, been studying the fact that for quite some time now, uh, various organs of government, things controlled by the left, have been trying to do their best to suppress religious freedom in this country. To the extent you think that religious freedom has been under assault. You're not mistaken whatsoever. There is a full frontal assault on religious freedom because, as we know through study of history, one of the first things that those who want to have a utopia or control 
society do is extinguish religious freedom. Religious freedom, even for those of you out there who are not believers, who don't have any particular religious affiliation, you should be very concerned that religious freedom is under the kind of assault, withering assault it's currently under, because it's not just about, quote-unquote, religious freedom. It's about the, the freedom to believe as you wish. Believe in no God, believe in a God, believe, be agnostic about it. But if they can control what you believe, if they can dictate to you how to believe, then they control society. And that's the ultimate aim here. But one other thing, uh, uh, Jim, you were talking about the Dodd-Frank, and you were talking about, I think, the financial collapse of uh, 2007, 2008. Uh, as we know, despite the fact that the media does their best to avoid reporting about this because it reflects extremely badly on, uh, you mentioned Dodd-Frank, on those members of Congress that had set up a regime whereby people who could not otherwise qualify for loans, and mainly housing loans, did nonetheless qualify. And it was based on, the, the, the theory was, well, Banks and other institutions are discriminating on the basis of protected characteristics such as race, class, ethnicity. And so the pressure was placed on these banks to lower their standards. And people who had absolutely no business getting the kind of loans they were getting were getting loans. And then lo and behold, everyone's surprised when they can't play them back. There's a huge collapse. And yet we continue to repeat these mistakes over and over again. Why is that? And Jim made a very good allusion to this in terms of the college scores. To the extent we lower standards, we're going to see more and more and more adverse results because standards are there for a reason. Standards are there, first of all, to at least if they are being administered in a fair and just manner to ensure that you have, in the case of admissions to college, those who can compete on that particular level. It's not meant to be discriminatory. That's not to say that, you know, we're going to stick our heads in the sand and understand that in the past there have been mechanisms and devices used to gauge in discrimination. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. In 2019 and for the last 30 years, the discrimination has been Many of you put colloquially reverse discrimination, and discrimination has been profound. If we have more time, I hope we can talk about it. But, Jim, thanks very much for your call. Appreciate it. You have a good Memorial Day weekend. I want to go to BJ now in North Olmsted. We've got calls holding, so we still do have open lines. I think we've got about 500 lines in this monitor here, so feel free to call in. We'll try to get to you. BJ, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Uh, one of the things I think is very important to take a look at, because years ago, many years ago, many of the people who were in the Congress, particularly the House, were farmers, workers. Uh, they were average American people. They were not career political people. And I do think we have to have a period of at least, at least a decade, maybe two decades of term limits. We have to clean house. These people that are in there for lifetimes never worked anywhere else and have are getting rich. And the amount of money they get if they've been in one term for the rest of their life per month is ridiculous. Uh, the, the, the House and the Senate no longer are representative of the people. They're representative of what goes on within themselves. There are many dedicated people in there. I'm aware of that. There are many dedicated people that run for office. But to clean up House... You've got to have the doors open so new cleaners can come in and, and, and really represent the American public. And I think that's a major, major issue. 
All these arguments that are going on today have very little to do with the American public. It has to do with the political system. And I think the American public is getting sick and tired of hearing about the politicians and what's going on with them. What Donald Trump has shown and, and come in and shown is as a businessman, he has made more money for the American public than non-business people that run for office. And I hope that the American public does wake up to that. And I thank you for the time to let me express that. Yeah, and BJ, thanks very much for the call. I think those were some very wise observations. And I will confess to you that for a long time I was um, a little bit skeptical about the whole notion of term limits. I kind of like the idea that people can vote for whomever they want to as many times as they want. Uh, but what we have seen is over the years you've got people who have camped out in Congress and contribute virtually nothing. In fact, they are pernicious influences on society if, if, if they contribute anything. And I agree with you, BJ, that one of the things about Trump, and, and for those of you who have heard me on Bob's show or elsewhere, you know that I was, during the primaries, a Trump skeptic. I didn't think he was a conservative. I looked at his history. I, I frankly was a, a Ted Cruz. If anyone, I was supporting a, a Ted Cruz. But I have to say, after having met Donald Trump, and geez, after the last couple of years, I agree entirely. Here's a guy who's never even elected dog catcher, didn't do all the things that politicians typically do, didn't become ensconced in a political position, and then act like a politician, talk like a politician, never think outside the box like a politician. And you look at thus far, and things could change, but thus far, the extraordinary successes he's had, even if you oppose some of his policies, you've got to acknowledge that he's had, especially given the extraordinary headwinds that no one other than Abraham Lincoln possibly faced in the history of the presidency. And this guy's producing amazing things. He is fulfilling his promises. If I have some time, I'll tell you about one of the things that I observed when I met with Donald Trump, uh, a certain list of priorities that he had on his wall. But uh, I think BJ's right that we need some fresh blood. We need a different way of thinking because kind of this calcified approach to various public policy issues have really not moved the ball forward. But more importantly, I think BJ was getting to this, that the founding fathers didn't anticipate this. They didn't anticipate that we we're going to have this permanent ruling class and especially this administrative state that they had not anticipated, which really controls Washington, because they're always there. Politicians may come and go, even those who have been there for 20, 30 years, but the deep state, and I really don't like that term that much, because I don't think it's adequately descriptive, but the permanent political class, the permanent administrative state, they are there looking out for their own interests, and we've seen in just bold relief over this course of the Russia scandal how much power they actually have, and it's scary. Uh, let's go to, uh, I'll tell you what, we've got Jeff holding, and Jeff, if you could hold for a few more minutes, we'll come back to you at the opposite side of this break. Thanks very much, everybody. This is the Bob France Authority, P. Curse now for Bob France. Mattress.com
Good morning, Cleveland. This is the Bob France Authority. Voodoo Child playing in the background there. This is Pete Kersnow substituting for Bob, who's attending his daughter's graduation, high school graduation. We've had the privilege of talking to Roger Clegg last hour. We've talked to a number of great callers, Sally, TJ, Jim, BJ, um, who've been talking about all manner of issues, and we've got other callers holding. I want to reserve the next half hour, the last half hour of the show, goes so quickly, to your calls. We have open lines, but for right now, we've got Jeff holding, and Jeff, you still there? Yes, Jim, good morning. Um, I wanted to share with you what I experienced on campus back in 2016 pertaining to freedom of speech, if you don't mind. Sure, go ahead. Uh, yeah, one of the things I sit here thinking is like it's interesting to me that the professors have more, uh, I guess, protection. Your, your, your rights go out the door once you get on campus, uh, is what I experienced. I was taking a, 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 a class online, an online class at Lorraine Community College back in 2016. And I was having a hard time getting on, and I'm kind of computer illiterate. I have a disability, kind of a learning disability. And I had made, I was upset, and so on and so forth. I said to the professor, I thought her, play, her class was a scam. The next thing I know, I was called up on the carpet. I was threatened. I was told if uh, I, I had... Not, I was not allowed on campus for two years, uh, that they felt that I was bullying the professor, that I was intimidating her, and all these things. And I just thought it was really weird. There was more to the story. I'm, I don't want to take up your time to go through the whole thing. But when I was in front of these people, these two, a professor and a security guard on, on, or whatever, security um, in front of these two people, kangaroo court is what it was. I was already guilty. Before I was even able to say anything, I was trying to explain to them, look, I have a disability, blah, blah, blah. I'm not, you know, it was just weird on how I was treated to where I was criminalized. Uh, I became a criminal because I had said that I thought the professor's class was scared. I was just upset. It was my opinion. It was my freedom of speech, my freedom of thoughts, you know, and it was squashed. I just wanted to share that with you. I mean, there's more to the story, but I, like I said, I know you're pressed for time, and I didn't want to go through the whole thing on, on the phone. But I know that I feel myself personally, my, 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 my freedom of speech was hindered, and I tried to explain to them that I was, a, I was disabled, and I was getting help assistance through the disability department. They didn't want to hear from none of that. They didn't care. Yeah. I was guilty, and you are not allowed on this campus. Well, I'll tell you, Jeff, that what I experience at the Civil Rights Commission also, for the last 20 years or so, I've gone on college campuses, law school campuses, and given a lot of presentations, been involved in a number of debates, and, of course, you've heard on various shows, if you watch uh, any of the Talking Heads shows in the evenings, they will tell you about the alarm that many of us who have been engaged in public discourse on college campuses, and not just on college campuses, you could go to uh, K-12 through these days, and increasingly there have been these blinders, or uh, maybe that's not a very good term, but what, what they've done is they've limited what's considered acceptable discourse in academia, and that acceptable discourse, of course, just happens to all lean to the left. And among the various harms associated with that, and we can talk about this, this is a subject matter for, frankly, a several-hour program, and it very often is, but the whole purpose or notion of education is, at least at the college level, 
is to have a free exchange of ideas. Some of those ideas may rub people the wrong way, and let's face it, you know, look, there are limits to what you should be able to say. There has to be some discipline imposed on uh, the classroom so that, um, you know, it protects the learning environment. But that's not what we're observing anymore. We're seeing this kind of woke culture that has set certain strictures on what is permissible. Things that, you know, frankly, are are necessary to engage in enlightenment are considered off-limits. You're not permitted to say them anymore, and, and it severely constrains one's ability to understand and learn some of the essential features of Western civilization, um, but also how to interact with your, your fellow man. Uh, we have elevated so many different ideas that are nonsense and have put a cocoon around individuals so that they aren't triggered, they aren't, you know, felt um, meant to feel threatened in any sense, and the standards for such are so low that, you know, an average three-year-old would not be be offended at the kind of things that today's woke culture culture finds offensive. But, uh, Jeff, I think that um, to the extent you have just traditional ideas and standards and approach to thing, and, you know, you aren't hypersensitive, many college campuses, many academic environments these days considers you a threat. Jeff, thanks very much for your call, and have a good Memorial Day weekend. We've got open lines for the first time in the hour, so if you'd like to call, the phone lines are one 888 281 one 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 zero or two one six nine zero one oh nine four five. I'd like to talk a little bit more about what uh, Jeff had raised. Now, when I go on college campuses, I'm usually involved in pretty contentious debates. Again, as I said, I've been doing this for a couple of decades. I talk to a lot of other folks who have been engaged in debates over the years. And what I found, beginning at about, I mean, this has been a long slide over the last couple of decades, but it reached an acceleration point about five years ago where I don't do too many debates anymore. I've had, I think, six or seven debates scheduled in the last year and a half, and only one of them went forward because these people back out of debates. And I thought, well, this is because Kersenow is just such an intimidating and formidable debater. But the real reason for it, I finally determined, because it takes me a while to f- figure these things out. I'm not all that smart. But what I determined was that uh, the left, which really controls the discourse uh, in academia these days, had decided that they don't even want people exposed to my side of an issue. They don't want to have to debate. Now, I will tell you that I invariably, you know, when we score these things, I win the debates, not because I'm a great debater, but because the left has never been exposed or rarely is exposed to our arguments, hasn't fashioned counter-arguments, and frankly, their positions are indefensible when exposed to public scrutiny and and to uh, close examination, and they don't want the kids to hear that. They've had this monopoly on the ability to uh, transmit their version of, quote-unquote, their truth. And so when they introduce viruses like me or a Heather McDonald, for example, who a number of these individuals have experienced something very similar, 
uh, that unfortunately is counter to their narrative. So they don't want us, uh, you know, on campuses that much. I've got a number of people calling. If I, the minute I give out that number, of course, everybody in the world calls. But I'll tell you what, what we're going to do, I know Tony uh, is holding. We've got a couple of other people holding. We're going to go to a break, hold on for a couple of minutes, and we'll get back to you at the other. Kowalski Ford, get there. Time flies on this Friday. Bob France Authority, Pete Kersenow, sitting in for Bob France. We've had just scintillating discussions both with Roger Clegg and with multiple callers on a variety of topics. We are unfortunately, uh, boy, this is our last uh, two segments coming up. They go too fast, and we have so many interesting callers and things to say. So I want to get right to it. I know Tony's been holding for a while, and Lisa, if you can hold on for a few minutes, we'll get to you also. Tony, how are you? Yes, Tony from uh, South Euclid. I appreciate you taking my call. Um, Listen, I know it's a sensitive topic, okay, but really it's common sense, and I'm talking about abortion, okay? Now, I'm just going to mention some comments and and, uh, there are some statements, okay? First of all, I'd like to say, doesn't a soldier commit murder on a battlefield? Well, is it lawfully or is it biblically? And this is the same way with abortion. Are we protesting or are we siding for pro-choice, pro-life, biblically biblically or lawfully? Now, I don't have a uterus. I don't have a vagina. I think that I shouldn't have the right to vote on this. But I'm looking from the outside and saying, look, this is a woman's choice. We don't know what's going through that woman's mind when she's having a baby or she wants an abortion. She made the baby. Now, did God make the baby? Well, biblically, you could say yes, if you believe in God. What if the person doesn't believe in God? But if we go back to our Constitution, where we could say, it may be an argument, freedom before murder. So throwing all this out there, I know it's a lot to grasp, but, you know, bottom line, the woman made the baby. It's coming from her. She has to make the choice. Nobody else can make the choice. And if somebody's making the choice for her and saying, look, you can't have this child, you you have to have this child by law, well, then if you're saying that, then you find a way to take care of it if there's a way that she doesn't want to take care of it. That's all I have to say. Tony, thanks very much for your call. I mean, that is a huge topic to address. We could be talking about it for the next several years. There are various positions with respect to it. I happen to have a different view of these things, and I think we could have a respectful discussion as to why we have these disagreements. Unfortunately, in America today, much of the discussion is being squelched, or if, regardless of what side you're on, very often you're attacked, but we do know that the, for lack of a better term, the pro-life side is under attack more virulently than any other side. Right now, we have a regime in this country where we've got uh, Democratic lawmakers are arguing for post-birth abortion. One of the quibbles I've got with what you said, Tony, and I respect what you had to say, and uh, you're a great caller, is that the woman made the baby. I don't think that this thing just started growing in her all by herself. Uh, I think there is more than one person involved in it, and more importantly, I don't think that human beings... 
are, are to be given dominion over another human being, or at least an innocent life, without any kind of input by the rest of society. That's never been the case throughout civilization. But again, a topic for another day. We could talk for a long, long time. But Tony, great comment. Thanks for your call. I have a different take. One of these days we'll have a more extended discussion about this extremely important topic. But in the United States of America, what we have is through our political institutions, the ability to resolve these kinds of issues. Unfortunately, a while back, one of our political institutions just decided outside of the realm of, of electoral politics to simply state something uh, in terms of the right to an abortion or the ostensible right to abortion. And the fact of the matter is, talk to constitutional scholars, even those on the left, will acknowledge that the legal reasoning, at least, regardless of what your position is, you could be pro-life or pro-choice or whatever it may be, but in terms of the law itself, Roe versus Wade was a train wreck. So, but in any event, look, topic for another day, we could talk about it forever and ever, one of the most essential topics that we ever could cover. Let's go to Lisa, and this is, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Lisa's one of my favorite people from one of my favorite organizations. Is this Lisa Woods? Yes, it is. Hi, Peter. So good to hear you today. And oh, thanks so much. Two hours. Outstanding. <laughs> what a treat. Great. Lisa, hey, what's I on your mind like, today? You know, I wanted to wish everyone a very blessed Memorial Weekend. Normally we would have a meeting, McFan would have a meeting this weekend, but because of the, uh, the holiday, uh, also I have my oldest daughters getting married this Saturday. Oh, congratulations. So it's kind of a no-brainer. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, but I wanted to I wanted to weigh in a little bit, um, you know, on the uh, uh, assessing kids for college. I just want to say on the K through 12 level, you know, we kind of have an obsession with with testing and measuring and metrics on on our kids, and I'm I'm really concerned. I think uh, you know we keep on taking it a little too far, and it's starting to remind me of some of the stuff they do in China with the giving people a number. Yeah, well, you know, um, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Lisa. That, that that's okay. I just, you know, we, we keep on taking it a little bit farther and farther, and it's like we're kind of like, you know, going a little too deep, a little too far with uh, with the kids and the testing. And, you know, don't forget that every time we come up with a new measurement, it, it actually gives our bureaucrats more busy work, which they love. And uh, that's really not what we want, especially from our government. I think that's a very good point. And for our listeners out there, Lisa, of course, is involved at the state level in education matters. She's doing yeoman's work in that regard as an elected official, dealing with educational issues here in the state of Ohio. You know, I think that there's a place for testing and for metrics. I do think you have to have certain measures um, because, frankly, for a lot of other reasons, there's not a, another way of discerning who should be in certain programs and who has done well, and they are always going to be imperfect. But I do agree, however, with Lisa that we have an obsession, and it's becoming this kind of um, almost like a guild whereby certain folks come up with these measurements, and, you know, some of them work, some of them don't, but they come up with these measurements and have an obsession, a fixation on them to the exclusion of other metrics uh, observable metrics, for example, that can allow us to determine whether or not somebody's got a facility for a particular subject matter or for uh, a particular vocation. And I know that, you know, I don't have Lisa's experience with respect to this, uh, but I do go into various schools and I've taught in various schools. And what I see are a number of kids who are bright 
and and enthusiastic and curious who unfortunately don't get an opportunity to express that because of the kind of strictures or lanes we place on kids and sometimes testing doesn't work one of my closest friends was not a good tester in in school but was one of the smartest persons you're ever going to want to meet and then became successful i can think of so many people and i know that many of you can think of examples uh and another one comes to mind when i was uh in college now this person of course in college had already gone through several levels of vetting to make sure that at least had a modicum of intelligence i mean he had actually you know gone to to college um but when you looked at his testing metrics weren't at the level of the others in our particular school, but that individual may be the most successful person of, at least who's on my football team in our, our freshman year in college. And uh, so there are a number of those types of features. But uh, Lisa, congratulations to you and your family and your oh, daughter you. getting married. I'm looking forward to coming out to Medina County Friends and Neighbors yes. again in the very near future. It's one of my favorite venues, and you have to make sure that I don't uh, keep talking for the next three hours because that's what I have a habit of doing whenever I visit you folks. A great group of we folks out there. We just love it when you do, Peter. We do. It's just really a treat, and it's really fun to hear you today. I'm glad you're able to take the show. Great. Fantastic. Thanks very much, and we will be returning at the conclusion of this particular break for our last segment, we've got John holding. John, hold on a couple minutes. We're going to get to you, okay? Thanks very much. Pete Kersenow for the Bob France Authority. Good morning, Cleveland. Pete Kirsten now sitting in for Bob France and the Bob France Authority. We're in our final segment. This just flies by so quickly. We have so many entertaining and interesting callers, so much to cover. We've only scratched the surface, and we are on the cusp of Memorial Day here in Cleveland. I hope all of you have a great Memorial Day weekend. I think the weather will cooperate to some extent. It's supposed to be the unofficial beginning of summer, but in Cleveland we know we've had a number of Memorial Days where it's been about 55 and blustery out there. Let's get right to John, who's been holding for a while now. John, how are you doing? Yeah, uh, Pete, on the term, on the issue of term limits, uh, I think a classic example of, of, of those that are camped in Congress is Patrick Leahy of Massachusetts. He was first elected in 1974, and I'm just in the process of looking it up. I think he's still still serving. I've watched the man grow old uh, serving in Congress. He served on the uh, uh, commission that reviewed Clarence Thomas, that that, that fiasco, along with Joe Joe Biden. And he anyway, so he's a typical example. Yeah, uh, and you're right about that. I've appeared before Leahy on um, at least a few occasions. I can't remember how many. And I, I, I look, uh, I will tell you that trying to be as charitable as possible, I was unimpressed with him. I was also unimpressed with uh, Joe Biden, who I've said this before, and I don't mind saying it. I try to adhere to my mother's admonition that if you don't have something good to say about somebody, somebody don't say anything at all. But he's the one who put himself out there into the public sphere, so I don't have a problem saying this. I think almost everybody who's appeared before Joe Biden when he was a senator would concur with my observation that he was the dumbest member of the Senate. And that's saying something. 
Uh, he was, uh, the, the person was completely obtuse, and he is currently running for President of the United States. I think he has absolutely no clue. The man has been in some form of public office for almost four decades. John, can you think of anything Joe Biden's accomplished in those four, four or close to 40 years? Not not one thing. Yeah, and what about Patrick can Leahy? Can you think of anything Patrick Leahy's done? What contribution has he made to the public discourse? Ditto. Yeah, yeah. Exact, uh, exactly right. I'm sorry. Go ahead, John. Well, and Joe Biden, as far as I've been seen over the over the years, he stands for nothing. You know, I mean, he uh, he goes with the wind. You know. Right. uh, You know, whatever he thinks can get him elected. Now, most of us who have, you know, day jobs, uh, we are actually, we have occupations. We try to stay on top of our occupations, contribute something positively. That's how we get paid. That's how we stay in business or remain employed. But with some of these politicians, such as a Patrick Lee or a Joe Biden, or just go down the laundry list, you have to ask yourself, what have they done to make life better in the United States of America. I mean, that's one of their essential functions. I mean, each of us, uh, you know, we are sovereign individuals who have the ability to fashion our own uh, narrative in life and make ourselves and our lives for our families better. But for the entire country, that's what politicians are for. Politicians are supposed to be doing these kinds of things, and I think they're simply there to serve themselves. Joe Biden's a very good example of that, but in 40 years, he has not gotten a clue what I'm, I'm I'm asking the question, but you've got all these acolytes in the media, for example, who think that oh, he's got the best chance of beating Trump, and that is their overriding objective. With a Patrick Leahy, um, he has done things. Well, look, I'm going to leave it at that. John, thanks very much for your call. You have a very good Memorial Day weekend. Um, I just want to leave you with a couple of parting thoughts. Over the weekend. If you've got a chance away from the barbecue, family events, and hopefully enjoying the weekend, honoring the United States of America and those who have served and given so much to the United States, the greatest nation on earth, think about where we're going as a country right now. Is this the way we're supposed to be going? And think about, look, we all have the ability. One of the beauties of America and the way it was constructed is you don't have to be involved if you don't want to. That's what the Falling Fathers had actually envisioned. They envisioned a very robust citizenry that would be involved in all manner of political endeavor, but they also set up in a way that if you didn't want to, you didn't have to. You could be left alone. Unfortunately, we've got all these officious intermeddlers in politics, in the media, in our culture, who don't want to leave you alone. Being left alone is an essential function of freedom, and we should vigorously guard that ability to be left alone. But to the extent you want to be involved in the public discourse, you shouldn't be shamed, you shouldn't be put into certain lanes, told you can only use certain terms that uh, are are, uh, approved by our cultural betters if you want to engage in public discourse. This is the United States of America, founded on freedom, founded on preserving the essential features of Western civilization. Western civilization, under assault by our elites also, don't let it happen. Vigorously fight back on this Memorial Day weekend. Think of all of your friends, all of your family members who have served. Some have made ultimate sacrifices, and those sacrifices were done not for speculative things, not for things that, you know, we don't have any true handle on. 
They were done because this greatest nation on earth, fashioned by our forefathers, who are now in apparently disfavor among so many of our cultural betters, those founding fathers today would be deplorables. Many, if not most of the people who are following in the footsteps of the founding fathers, who are preserving the essential freedoms endowed to us by our creator and put forth under the Constitution and the founding documents, those folks being looked down upon as if somehow that they are unworthy of being called Americans, I will tell you that the people who are denigrating those individuals, those essential freedoms, all that made this country great, don't understand their history, don't understand the importance of the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, all of the original documents, and are measuring America, Americans, and our founding through the prism of the left, through a prism that it wasn't meant to be viewed through. God bless America. God bless Cleveland, Ohio, and the greatest listeners in radio on the Bob France Authority. Pete Kersenow signing out for Bob France. Enjoy the silence